we are jumping back into 1 Corinthians. Uh, this is week three of our 24-week our set. So uh, if you're just joining us here or online, hey, we got plenty of time. You're, you're good. You didn't miss out too much. We're still in chapter one, as a matter of fact. Um, we have covered 17 verses so far. Now, today we actually have one of our longest chunks of scripture in the whole series that we're going to tackle today. Um, and the reason for that is because it kind of is going to circle, right? It's kind of going to be a longer chunk that kind of keeps coming back to the same thing. Um, but, but it's important. But what we talk about today is wisdom. The wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the age. The strength of God versus the strength of men, right? Uh, we're going to be talking about, well, let's just say it this way. If, if, if we think about wisdom as a, a continuum, a line, on one end of the continuum, you would have foolishness. And on the other end of the continuum, you would have wisdom. And, and I threw out a topic like, we're gonna, we just talked about it. Let's say it's abortion. And I said to a room full of people, not necessarily at church, but just anywhere, just a room full of people, hey, um, here's the topic. Do you think abortion should be legal or illegal? Right? Should people have the freedom of choice to decide what they want to do with their own bodies? Or should life be respected and guarded above all else? Pick a side. And people would stand up and they would go to their sides. And some would say, you know what, whether I agree with abortion or not, I think people have the right to choose for themselves. Other people would go over here and say, you know what, I really think that life is precious. God creates it. We need to protect it. Um, God tells us that we are not to murder. This is the way it has to be. And people would go to their end. But here's the problem. Both people, both groups of people on either end, they're both going to think they're right. Nobody knowingly goes to the foolish end. Whenever we have an issue in the world, whenever we have a disagreement, whenever we have um, a stance where people break apart differently, people go to their sides of the argument, and then everybody assumes that their side is the wise side. Right? You can get that, right? Think, think about any of the political stuff that's been going on, right? Like, you know, think about coronavirus, think about vaccines, think about places being shut down, think about anything, right? You've got people on one side, and you've got people on the other, and everybody thinks they're wise, and they think the other person is being foolish, right? That's what happens in our culture. That's why we argue all the time. Because if I'm over here thinking I'm so smart, and thinking they're foolish, and they are over there thinking they're smart and I'm foolish, what are we going to do? We're just going to keep trying to convince each other that they're wrong. And we're going to keep at it, and our voices are going to get louder, and it's going to get more intense, and, and we get in this, this power struggle. That's what's happened in our world. That's where wisdom and foolishness come to play. And that's the problem with worldly wisdom. In a world system, right, think about what happens in Judges, where everybody does what's right in their own eyes, where everybody does what seems right to them, then we scatter in different directions and everybody thinks they're being wise and they think everybody that disagrees is being foolish 
and we have a problem. And that's the culture we live in. That's the culture in ancient Corinth. See, ancient Corinth was, was uh, uh, a Greek city, and it was steeped in philosophical, intellectual tradition. See, the Greeks were, were famous for philosophy. Prior to this, um, to, to this time in history, they'd had Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, Epicurus, Heracles, like all of these great philosophers that you can still buy their books and read their works today and wrestle with their thoughts. And that was the culture in Greece is they thrived on intellectualism, right? On knowledge and wisdom. And that's the thing that Paul is writing into. And, and you know what? We kind of do the same thing a little bit. See, this is, this is one of the problems that we have in our church today. One of the reasons why the gospel truth gets watered down so much is because we tend to treat everything on this level of we know we're right. Here's what we know we're right about. We know that we're right. We can unapologetically say we are in the wisdom category when it is something that God has clearly said. That's it. Right? When I can stand in this category and say God has clearly said, then I know that I'm in the wisdom area and people that disagree are being foolish. Right? But if I can't stand here and say God has clearly said then I shouldn't act like I can. Because when I act like I can, I weaken my argument, my, my passion, I, I weaken my resolve for the things that God has actually said. And, and we'll see that as we unpack the scripture here. Paul is trying to break this all apart. He says, look, look there is such a thing as wisdom, and there is such a thing as foolishness, but it has nothing to do with these human arguments. Not for them, not for us. Human arguments will never be steeped in what's true or what's not true because they all miss the mark. See, philosophy is about this love of wisdom, this love and pursuit of truth, but they'll never meet the mark because they all are devoid of the truth that Jesus Christ is God in flesh and he is everything. What does the word tell us, right? That he is the way, the truth, and the life. Without an acknowledgement that he is the truth, everything will ultimately be skewed and fall short. So we're just going to jump in here and you're going to see how this plays out. We've got a lot of text to cover, uh, but we'll get there, I promise. We start in 1 Corinthians 1, 18. You can read along on the screen if you've got these um, little study Bibles. By the way, we have been having somebody come up and share some of their insights and how they're studying, and we will do that again. But um, because we had such a long chunk of Scripture today, we, we decided not to do that. But next week, we'll, we'll have that uh, again. But you can follow along here. If you've wanted one of these and haven't picked one up, or we haven't had any available, I think we've got four or five at the Welcome Center. You can pick one up after the service. Um, otherwise... Use whatever Bible you have. If you don't have one, there's probably one in the seat in front of you. Um, use it while you're here. If you don't have one at home, take it home with you. Um, but let's, let's be in the Word together. So 1 Corinthians 1, starting in 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Right? But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And so Paul starts this, this chunk. He's still talking about division. Right? He started last week by talking about division in the church. Now, last week's division was talking about preferences. Right? Some people were saying, oh, I like, to, I, I like the way Paul does it, so I'm going to follow his way. I like the way Apollos does it, so I'll follow his way. And other people are like, no, I, I kind of like the way Peter taught it when I was in Jerusalem, so I want to do it his way. And they were, they were basically being divided over these preferences and these factions. And Paul said, knock it off. Right? You're supposed to be following Jesus, not individuals. And so he's still talking about division, but he's shifting from preferences here. And now he's talking about core, solid, foundational doctrine. See, because what happened is that the people in Corinth were carnal. Right? They were carnal. They weren't Christ followers. They never even really heard of Christ until Paul came into town in a missionary journey. And he said, hey... I have to tell you about this man, Jesus Christ, who was God in flesh, and he lived, and he died, and he took your sins upon himself, and he was resurrected from the dead, conquering death once and for all. And in him you can find forgiveness and salvation. And people heard the message, and they were like, yes, we want that. And so they surrendered to Jesus, and they became Christians. But they didn't know anything else. They knew Christ. And then they were starting from scratch. And so now after a year and a half of Paul teaching them, they learn some more, but, but they're still trying to figure this out, and Paul's gone, and now they're hearing uh, about, yes, there's the gospel, but there's also these other good-sounding things out there. And so they understand Jesus, but they're trying to add to Jesus some of these other philosophies, other wisdoms that are happening. And, and so Paul hears about this, and as part of why he writes the letter, he says, look, stop. The gospel. It says, now here's the thing about the gospel. It sounds dumb to people that aren't Christians. The word of the cross, that's the gospel, the message of the cross. Jesus Christ crucified. The word of the cross is folly to those that are perishing, right? Non-Christians. This is what Paul's saying. The, the, the gospel message is sounding like foolishness to people that aren't Christians. You know that word for foolish? In, in Greek, that's where we get our English word for moron. Moronic. Complete and total nonsense. So this is what Paul's saying. It's like the, the, the gospel message sounds like nonsense to non-Christians. The gospel message sounds like nonsense to, to non-Christians. Right? But for Christians, the gospel message is actually the power that saves you. Right? We're saved by the gospel. Now, you know that, right? Some of you have experienced that. Like people that, are, that you know and love and respect and that are intelligent, they're smart, they reject the gospel because it sounds foolish to them. It sounds stupid. They don't believe it. Sometimes they think you're stupid for believing it. Right? That was happening to them. It happens to us. And Paul says, yeah, that makes sense, right? Because it is nonsensical to people that aren't Christians. Of course they think it's dumb. It doesn't make sense to them. And then he says this. He says, because it's written, this is what God says, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Now here's, here's what that means. 
It doesn't mean that God is going to take somebody smart and strip away their intelligence. Right? God's not saying, I'm going to take your smartness that could have figured this out, and I'm going to make it so that you can't figure it out anymore. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, the reason it sounds foolish to them is because it's so counterintuitive. It doesn't really make sense. Right? From a human perspective, there's no way this makes sense. Hey, you know how you live? You know how you live? Here's the Christian message. Die. You want to live? Then you have to die. Die to yourself. Like that sounds moronic to somebody who is not following Jesus. You know how you really live? You have to die to yourself every day. Hey, you know how you be first? Put yourself in last place. Put yourself in last place. That's the message of the cross. Hey, you know how you elevate? Get on your knees and surrender. Like this is the message of the cross and it makes perfect sense to those of us in Christ. We read these, we understand these things, we know what this means, we can process this. But to the world, it sounds dumb, right? Because God says their wisdom won't make sense of this. Because what I've said is true is just so counterintuitive that it will never, it'll never work for them unless they first get the gospel. It says the wisdom of the cross, right? The word of the cross, the gospel, right? It's the power to save souls. But for those not in Christ, it sounds dumb. He keeps going. It says, because where is the one that's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Right? Now, now again, this isn't God purposely like bringing the wise so that they can't understand things. He's not making them unwise. He's, he's basically saying this. It was never about being smart. He says, where are the scribes? Where are the, the wise? Where are the debaters of this age? He's like, their wisdom won't get it done. Right? The wisdom they thought they had is really foolish. And this is good news for us. Because here's the deal. It was never about being smart enough. See, there are some people in our world, in our lives, certainly in that culture in Corinth, there were some people who considered them to, themselves to be intellectual elites. Like they were the smart ones and they would figure it out. And then here's what they would say. We figured it out. You fall in line and follow us. That's what it would be. I would say this is the way that it is. This is the teaching. It's okay if you don't understand it. I understand it. Now get in line and follow me. And that would be the way that this was shared. These new philosophical understandings, all of these competing theologies, they would say, they're wrong, I'm right, get in line, follow me. But, but God says, it's never been about intellectual understanding. It's never been about somebody being smart enough to, to figure out this secret knowledge and then share it with other people and get the followers. It was never about any of that. What Jesus says is the way that you get right with God is through the faith of a child. You want to get right with God? Then you have to have the faith of a child. 
You don't have to be wise. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to back the right intellectual idea. You don't have to make sure that you are espousing the correct philosophy. You just have to have the faith of a child to respond to Jesus. That's all it ever was about. It's the only thing you ever needed. You want to be right with God? Here's what you have to do. You have to, in the freedom of your will, no matter how intellectually astute you are, no matter how unwise you might consider yourself, no matter what you know or what you don't know, no matter what you've learned or what you haven't yet learned. You want to get right with God? Here's what it is. With the heart of a child, in the freedom of your will, you say, Jesus, I'm going to surrender to you and follow you. And that's it. This is what Paul's saying. He's like, the world is is all puffed up on wisdom, but it was never about wisdom. All of that is foolish. What it's about is just responding to God like the heart of a child. He's like, where are the ones that are wise? Why don't they get this? Well, they don't get it because it was never about their wisdom. It was never about this intellectual understanding. It was just about faith. For since in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom, he didn't make it so that people could study enough to finally figure out what's true about God. That's not how God designed it. It pleased God that through the nonsense of the cross that he would save people. You want to get right with God, it's not about studying or learning or knowing more. It's about the heart of faith that just says, okay, Jesus, in the freedom of my will, I'm turning it over to you. I'm following you. Right? And the reason for that is because God is not going to be figured out intellectually. Here's what he says in Isaiah. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. The heavens are higher than the earth. And just like that, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. This is basically God saying, man, I created all of this. I created you. There is no way for you to learn more, study more, and just figure out how to get here with me. You can't. But here's what you can do. With the heart of a child, you can surrender and you can agree to follow Jesus. And the world will say, man, that is dumb. That makes no sense to us. But Paul says, you know what? It's the power to save. Don't get sucked into this other stuff. It's really all just about the gospel. He continues, Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. You notice he uses Greeks and Gentiles there interchangeably. You've got Jews and then everybody else is a Gentile, right? Jews and then everybody else. And he says that the Jews demand signs. And you know what? They did. They demanded signs. They wanted to see signs. They're like, we will believe that Jesus is God in flesh if we see miraculous signs, right? But, but here's the problem with that. One is God doesn't do parlor tricks. And two, God has already done the most miraculous thing ever. He became flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death on the cross. And then he rose again from the grave. I don't know how more of a miraculous sign you're going to get. 
That's pretty miraculous. And we do see as we read through the book of Acts, we see that miraculous things happen all of the time. Right? Like there, there's, there's scenarios where Peter and James are walking into the temple to preach the gospel. And as they're walking into the temple, there is somebody who is a, a cripple who has never walked in his life. They heal him. He gets up, he walks. They walk into the temple and share the gospel. People listen extra hard that day. Right? So we do see that kind of thing in scripture, right? But, but, but what, what people are saying is, oh, we'll believe if we only see something to make us believe. And Paul says, listen, it's not about seeing enough. It's not about proof. You know what it's about? It's about faith like a child saying, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to trust and I'm going to follow. That seems like foolish to the world to put your hope in something like that. But Paul says, man, that's the power to save. Jews want signs. Greeks, they want to be proved um, through wisdom and debate, logic. That's their philosophy background. They want logic. Can I tell you something? I am a... I love to argue. It's usually because I'm right. And other people are wrong. And I know it. And if I work hard enough, they'll know it too. The problem is they're sure they're right and that I'm wrong. And if they, <laughs> we were having lunch, we went to see Riley in Ankeny yesterday. She's doing well, by the way. Um, but, but she's been there two weeks. I know it's been two weeks. On the dot yesterday was two weeks. But she's talking about how she'd been there three weeks so far. Now, does it matter? No. But she was wrong. <laughs> and so sitting over Mexican at lunch... I explained to her that she was wrong. And I proved to her that I was right. I like to argue, right? But can I tell you this? It is a really good thing that your salvation does not hinge on my debating skills. Because there are people that don't believe what I believe who are better arguers than me. It doesn't make them right. It makes them better at arguing. And what Paul is saying is that the Jews want signs. The Greeks, they want definitive proof through logic, through explanation. They want you to debate them to the, to the gospel. And, and, and Paul says, no, 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 it's not about that. It's not about this logical reasoning and argument. Something I figured out a long time ago is that there are a whole group of people who can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that God exists. And then there are a whole other group of people who can prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that God doesn't exist. Because our human reasoning can only go so far. Our human reasoning only goes to a point. At some point in time, it becomes a matter of faith. What will I respond in faith? Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but but Paul says, man, it's not about that stuff. We're not going to give them miraculous signs just because they want them. God's in charge of that. And we're not going to stand and debate them and try to convince them that we're right. Here's what we're going to do. Paul says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to preach Christ crucified, and that will be sufficient. We're going to preach the gospel, and we're going to let the gospel speak for itself. Because if you're going to come to faith, it's going to be through that, 
not through my eloquent words and my arguments, not through some sign and and magic trick that I can do, but it's going to be because of the cross. And that's, that's the way he leaves it. And he says, this is a stumbling block to the Jews because they don't believe that Jesus was God, right? And it's foolishness to the Greeks because while they believe in lots of gods, they don't believe in one God, certainly not a God that would come to earth and die for them. He says, but man, to those of us that are called, Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. To those of us that are called, we know that the gospel is actually what saves us. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He's he's not saying that God can actually be foolish or that God can actually be weak, but what he's saying is, you're never gonna. You're, you're never going to get there. Like, like here. There's the the way that I, I wrap my head around this. Like last week, I really believed that the Bears had a chance to beat the Saints in the playoffs. Now, do I think the Bears were a better team? No. Do I think if they played 15 games, the Bears would lose 14 of them? Yeah. But did I think they had a chance? Is it possible that they had a really good day? And is it possible that the saints were going to have a really bad day and that both of those would happen at the same time and the bears on their best day would be able to beat the saints on their worst day? Yeah. So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. That didn't work out that way, but there was a chance. Listen, Paul is is saying here, there's no chance. Right? God is never going to have a bad day, but even if you caught him on his weakest, most foolish day, and you got yourself on your strongest, most wise day, he still trumps you. Right? He still trumps you. Why? Because the cross is still what matters most. And then he says this, consider your calling, brothers. Right? Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were noble. Uh, But God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. Now, I want to be clear. God chose the low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing the things that are. Right? Now, now this is not God saying, so you Christians, you were kind of worthless. Like, you were the worst, and he picked you because you were the worst. That's not what that means. Right? There are plenty of Christians that are smart, that are wise. There are plenty of Christians that were of noble position, right? But, but what he's saying here, right, is that God specifically makes more out of faith and obedience than he does out of anything that the world makes a lot out of. The world judges value based on all of these other factors, power, position, intelligence, your ability to influence, money, prestige. Like the world bases its, its rating scale on whether you have those things and whether you possess those things. But, but those were never important to God. Think about John the Baptist. Jesus says this about John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women... There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. This is Jesus saying, John the Baptist is the best human being 
Like he is the most influential. He's the, he, is, he is the guy. He's the dude. John the Baptist had no formal education. He had no training. He had no political position. He had no religious position. He had no rank. He had no influence. He was just a crazy guy wearing camel's hair robes, eating honey and locusts in the desert, talking to people. That's who he was, right? God took what the world despises, and he says, this is what we value, obedience and commitment and faith. He says, there's no one greater, right? And why does he do all of this? Why does he shame the wise, Right? He doesn't shame them. Like He's not actively putting them down. But what he's doing is he's showing them their own shortcomings. They thought they could reason their way to faith. They thought they could convince that they were good enough. But God shows them their shortcomings. Why? So that no one can boast in the presence of God. This is actually God doing them a kindness. Some of you are teachers. And so you might know this experience at the end of the semester when people are scrambling to find out what they have to do to pass. And they're asking you, what do I have to do? How do I get a passing grade? How do I pass this class? How do I get to play sports next semester? What do I do? How do I fix it? How much extra credit can I earn? What's the, what's the secret? Right? And, and sometimes the answer is there's nothing you can do, man. It's way too late. If you'd have cared just a little bit, a month ago, we might have been able to do something. Well, this is, this is generous from Jesus. He's like, I don't want you to struggle with this. Philosophies and religions, they'll make you struggle with this. It's like, I don't want you to struggle with this. I want you to know the answer, right? You will never be able to boast in my presence that you got here on your own or that you figured it out. You will never be able to. Don't ask me if you're safe. Don't ask me how much is enough. Don't ask me if you read your Bible enough. Don't ask me if you earned it. Don't ask me if you served in enough ministries. Don't ask me if you gave enough to the church. Don't ask me any of that. None of that will matter in the end. None of that is what this is about. All of that is good. None of that is the answer to how I get right with God. Don't come to me thinking you'll be able to boast in my presence. You will not be able to boast in my presence. You can bring all of that to the table, and in the end, I will show you how it's flawed, and you will have shame. Because if you're trusting in something like that, if you're trusting in something other than the cross of Jesus Christ to get you there, you are boasting that you can do it, and I will show you that that's false. So in the generosity of God, he's telling us from the very beginning, stop thinking that that's important. Stop thinking you can get there. Stop thinking you can knowledge your way around this. Stop thinking you can learn enough or you can follow the right thing or you can... No. You'll never be able to boast in the presence of God. He's being generous. Right? He says, but because of him... Some of you are in Christ. So I hope you get this, right? Because of him, some of you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that when you boast, you're boasting about him. So this is the difference. Some people think that they can live a moral enough life. 
Some people think that they can follow the wisdom of the age and they can be good people. And they can just take and pick and choose and they can follow the way they want. And ultimately, when they get there, they will hear, good job, you figured it out. Life is hard and you navigated it well. Good on you. How'd you do it? It'll be like a post-game interview. How'd you do it? And I'm like, well, you know, it was really tough, but, but I just remembered that, that, you know, I have to, you know, I have to try hard and I not give up and keep going. And, and they'll be like, great, good on you. Champagne showers and, and, um, because that's how they celebrate at the end of a champion. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and, and some people think that's the way it's going to go. But God says, no, 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 no. There is no boasting in that. You won't get there. I will, I will put that to shame by showing you how it's flawed. But the cross of Christ, because of Jesus, because of him, you're in Jesus. And he became wisdom of God. He became righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So you'll be able to boast. It'll be the post-game press conference. And they'll be like, how did you make it through? And you'll be like, I didn't. Jesus did it for me. Right? Jesus got me here. Because of the cross of Christ, I know I'm good. Right? I know I'm saved. I know I have this. I can boast in what Jesus did, not boast in how well I did. This is the end goal. And he says, like, like when we are in Jesus, we can boast because he gives us wisdom. And he gives us righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Right? Wisdom. Like, like here's the deal. Like, we get wisdom from God. We can't be saved by our wisdom. But when we are saved, God gives us his wisdom. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives in us. That is the wisdom of God for us. That's how, that's how you become a Christian. Like, like you don't just wake up one day and say, I want to be a Christian. I'm going to follow Jesus. Some of you here are Christians. Maybe some of you here, some of you listening online or later in the week or whatever. Maybe you're not. If you are contemplating that, that is the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ. With the wisdom of God, he's giving that to you to draw you. When you become a Christian... Jesus gives you his righteousness. You, righteousness, rightness. That's all that means, rightness. You are wrong. You are broken and messy and in sin. Jesus, when you come to him and when you surrender to him with childlike faith, he gives you his rightness to cover your wrongness. It's like a cloak, a robe that you put on. You have his rightness now. And because of that rightness, you are sanctified, holy, set apart. Remember, you might not act like it, but your position with God is holy. This is why I will always argue pretty, pretty passionately, you can't lose this. You can't be robbed of this. You can't forfeit this. If this is real, right, because you couldn't earn it in the first place. If because the Holy Spirit draws you in wisdom, you respond to the gospel in childlike faith, you are clothed in the rightness of God. You didn't earn the rightness of God. There's nothing right about you, nothing right about me, but I have this that I wear, this rightness, this righteousness. And because I'm right now, God sets me apart as sanctified and holy. I didn't earn that either, and I can't screw that up. It was never mine to earn. That's human wisdom. 
Human wisdom says, hey, you better do right or, or you might forfeit that or God might take that away from you or you could surrender it or lose it. But no, no, no. This is the foolishness of God, the cross of Christ that does this. I have this. I am secure in this. Right? Because the redemption of God covers me. It is him buying me back from sin and the grave through the blood of Christ. That's the gospel. That's what Paul's saying in all of this. In all of this, Paul is saying there is human wisdom that will tell you about these other paths and these other ways and these other things, but it's all garbage. It's the cross of Christ that saves. Everything else that you boast in, everything else that you count on, everything else that you think will get you there, Man, it is to, it, it's shameful. You can't boast in that stuff before God. But the cross, oh, you can boast in the cross. You didn't do it. He did it. You boast in that because he gives you this wisdom and he gives you this righteousness and he gives you this, this sanctification and he has redeemed you. That's where your boasting lies. Paul says, let the philosophies go. Understand this. He says, and when I came to you, brothers, this is Paul. He's like, I, want, I wanted you to know this so badly. I didn't want you to mess this up. So when I came to you, man, I didn't come to you with these great eloquent speeches. I didn't come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech, lofty wisdom. He says, like, I never made it about me. I didn't want it to be about me. I decided that I would do nothing. I would know nothing. I wouldn't entertain any human ideas or thoughts. Other people's my own. All I would do is tell you about Christ and him crucified. He says that that was my job. As your evangelist, as your pastor, that was my job. To not get bogged down in all of this other stuff, but so that you would know Christ, that you would know Christ crucified. Paul's like, I never wanted you to believe because I convinced you. I never wanted you to believe because I told you you had to. It's like, I wanted you to believe because the Holy Spirit got a hold of you and you had childlike faith to respond to the gospel. And this is a warning for me. It's a warning for us as a church. You know, one of the things that I, um, sometimes I forget that it's not about me. I think that's why I want people to know that I'm right all the time and I like to argue. I had this epiphany last service that maybe I needed to get back to therapy and work this out. Um, because I'm sure I'm right. And because it's all about me, everybody else needs to know that I'm right. And so there you go. And so sometimes as a pastor, I really jack this up. But, but Paul says, no, 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 I didn't make that mistake. He said, I was really careful. I didn't come to you with these lofty speeches and grand shows of wisdom. I didn't argue you to the gospel. I just told you about Jesus, and I let the Holy Spirit do its work. Right? And so here, here's something you should know. Um, you should never come to church to hear my opinion about politics, about psychology, about economics, even about religion. Because it's never about me. And, and this is true for pastors in general. You should not follow a pastor, myself, Pastor David, or any other pastor who consistently makes it about them. Who consistently teaches you more about their opinions than they do about the Word of God. 
And that's easy to do in, in, in this day and age of celebrity pastors, where pastors become well-known and famous. And I'm not mad at celebrity pastors. There are pastors that are well-known and famous, and I, I put myself under the teaching of several of them, right? But we have to be careful about this. I have to be careful not to do this. You have to be careful not to follow this. We don't come to hear what Matt thinks. Here's what we come to hear. This is, this is what I've been called to do. It's what Paul was called to do. This is what he's saying as he shares in this letter to the, to the church in Corinth. We come to hear a word from the Lord through the pastor. Right? For us to share God's word and what it means. Not my opinion on these other things. Because God's word edifies and it unifies but human opinion will confuse and divide and cause frustration. So we have to be careful. I say this all the time. I, I like it when people come up to me after the service and tell me, hey, Matt, you did a great job. Right, I'm only human. I like that. But more often than not, what they really mean is, man, I really agreed with you today. And, and if I'm really being honest like Paul, and I'm really doing my job well, I don't care if you agreed with me or not. Because all I'm doing is telling you what's in the Word of God. And I hope that it catches in you. But you saying, I agreed with you today, shouldn't, shouldn't make me feel good any more than when you say, oh man, I really disagreed with what you said today. Right? Because if all I'm doing is sharing the Word of God, then... Your agreement and disagreement, your like or dislike, shouldn't matter as much. But I have an ego. And so it does. But Paul, man, Paul was clear. I didn't do this. I was really careful. I just told you about Jesus. That's it. And he says this, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Like, he's like, I, I, didn't, I didn't bring the power of my eloquence. I didn't bring all of my intellect. I, I just, I took the position of somebody in fear and trembling and weakness just to tell you about the cross, right? Not in plausible words of wisdom, but just in the power of the Holy Spirit so that you could hear the truth and if the Holy Spirit drew you, you could respond to the truth. So that your faith wouldn't depend on me, but on the power of God. Here's the thing, church. I hope some of you predate me here at this church, but some of you have come here since I've been here. Some of you maybe have come to faith since I've been here. But, but my sincerest hope is that your faith is not resting in me. That your faith is not resting in me. That your faith is resting in Christ. I might have been the one to share that truth with you and the Holy Spirit might have drawn you while I was sharing the word of God to you. But that was never about me. One of the things that happens at churches all the time is, is that they leave. Now, I said this first service, I'm not going anywhere. Like, like, I mean, but eventually I may go somewhere, right? I don't know something you don't know. But if and when I leave this place as a pastor... What unfortunately will probably happen is that some members of the church will leave as well. That's really common. It is really common for people to leave when a pastor leaves. 
but it makes no sense to me. And I, I pray that doesn't happen if and when God calls me from this place, I go. I sincerely hope that people don't leave because of that, because it wasn't about me. Paul says it this way, man, I gave it to you as simply as I could. Why? Because I didn't want your faith to be about me. I wanted your faith to be about God. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about Jim, who was the pastor here before me. It's not about me, and it's not about the person that will be here after me. It's not the way it works. Paul says, yet, it's not that we don't teach you anything except the cross, the cross, the cross, right? It's not like we just repeat the gospel message every day when I came to the, to the, the synagogue and when I went to the town square. So we taught other things, but here's the deal. Among the mature, he says, we do impart wisdom, but it's not regular wisdom. It's not the wisdom that the philosophers are teaching, It's not the thing that the intellectual elites are telling you you have to get on board with. We get that all the time, right? Especially in kind of the cancel culture that we have. It's like, get on board with this wisdom or else, right? Paul says, no, 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 I did teach wisdom, but it wasn't that kind of wisdom, right? That's wisdom of the age, and it's doomed to pass away. It comes and it goes, and it cycles and whatever. He says, but what we taught you We imparted a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, because if they would have, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus Christ. But as it's written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those that love him. And what Paul's saying here is this. He's saying, I did teach you things, but what I taught you was spiritual wisdom, not worldly wisdom, right? It's the secret wisdom of God. Now, here's the deal. It's not secret in that I'm the only one as the pastor that can figure it out. It's not secret in that there's like six people sitting on a council that decide what the wisdom is and then tell you what the wisdom is. It's not secret that way. In fact, one of the things I always tell, because it's not unusual for me to hear about people that are following this secret knowledge, uh, that this person, like, or they write books that I have figured out the code and I alone understand. No, no, no. Right? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. If, if you're following somebody who says, I understand something from the Bible that no other Christian has ever understood before, stop listening to them. Right? Stop following them. That's not what God means when he says secret knowledge. What he's talking about here is secret knowledge. It's knowledge that you couldn't understand before you became a Christian. Right? He's saying, I'm teaching wisdom to you. I'm telling you true things. And it's not worldly wisdom that will pass away. What I'm teaching you now as a Christian is God's wisdom that you can finally understand. You couldn't understand it when you weren't a Christian, but now because you are a Christian, you can understand this. Why? Because now you're spiritual. Before you couldn't, now you can. Right? See, so, so, see how this works. This is, this is important. These things God revealed to us through the Spirit. Well, guess what happens when you become a Christian? The Bible tells us that when you become a Christian— 
You are born again. That's the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus in John 3. Says, if you want to follow me, you have to be born again. Nicodemus is confused. He's like, that's weird. I'm a grown man. I don't think my mother would appreciate that. He literally says, I can't crawl back into the womb and come back out again. And no, you can't. That'd be gross. But what Jesus says is, here's what you have to do. You have to be born again spiritually. You surrender and you are born again spiritually. That means you are made new by the Holy Spirit that now lives in you and seals you and holds you. That's the one that gives you the righteousness. That's the one that sanctifies you and redeems you and sets you apart. The Holy Spirit. Right? And he says, we taught you things, not human things, because none of that is going to last. We taught you the spiritual secret things of God that now you can understand because now you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You couldn't get it before. Remember, this is, this is where it feels foolish to the rest of the world. You want to really live. You got to die to yourself every day. Right? You really want to experience all the fullness that this life has to offer. And you got to make yourself a servant to everybody. I really want to grab hold of everything in life. I want to enjoy it to the fullest. Great, then make it not about you. Right? It's the stuff that makes zero sense to the world. But now with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, Paul says, now you can understand these secret things. Everybody else will think they're garbage and they're foolish and they're nonsense and they're moronic. But you will know. You'll know what's real. It says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. You don't know my thoughts. I know my thoughts. Right? But the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God, right? And now the Spirit of God lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And we can understand these truths. This is called, uh, here, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Uh, He goes on to say here at the end of this, the natural person doesn't get it. They can't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly, their nonsense, right? But the spiritual person gets it, and ultimately they will be judged by no one. That means no human wisdom will be able to judge them. They they might say in this life, we might have plenty of people heap judgment on us. But when the day comes, they won't be able to judge us because we're not boasting in ourselves, we're boasting in the cross. Right? Because we have the mind of Christ. And so, so here, here's, here's what this is. This is called the doctrine of illumination. This is where we end today. And what, what I want you to know as we walk away from this. This is called the doctrine of illumination. Here's what it means. It means that you have, as a born-again Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, right? If you're not following Christ, but you're here and you're wrestling with this, then that means the Holy Spirit is drawing you right? And I want to tell you, there will never be a sign or wonder that will convince you. There will never be an an apologetic argument that will sway you all the way there. Ultimately, what it will have to be, if you're on the outside looking in and you're trying to respond to this, here's what it will have to be. It will have to be humble faith that just says, you know what? I don't have all the answers and I'm sure I'm going to have questions and I'm sure it's going to be hard, but I give up. I surrender, and I'm following Jesus. 
That's what gets you there. But once you're there, the doctrine of illumination says this. You, as a new believer, have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Therefore, there is nothing that God wants you to know that you can't figure out. There is nothing that God wants you to accomplish that you can't accomplish. That is the truth of the Holy Spirit, having the mind of Christ living in you. If God wants you to know it, you can know it. Now, is it magic? No. Is it work? Yes. Is it commitment and surrender and obedience? Absolutely. But the doctrine of illumination says if God wants you to have it, you can have it. And I'm not talking tangible things in your hands, right? It's not like God wants you to have a flat screen TV so you get a new flat screen TV, right? It's a different gospel. But if God wants you to know it and to own it and to have the wisdom of God, you can have it. Now, a couple of things to know. One, you're not going to know everything. You won't know everything there is to know. Deuteronomy 29, 29 talks about the fact that there are secret things that belong to God and they are not for you to know. Remember, his ways are so far above us. He is the creator. We are the creation. But everything God wants us to know and understand, because the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ, we have God in us, we can figure out. You're like, Matt, I don't don't know where God lands on this issue. You know what? Study. Study. Focus, trust, obey. When you do those things, because of the Holy Spirit living in you, you'll get there. There are some things we can't know, but, but what God wants us to know, we can too. Um, it doesn't mean with the Holy Spirit living in you, it doesn't mean you don't need human teaching. Of course you need human teaching, right? Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4. talks about the fact that we are to put ourselves under godly teaching. We all need godly teaching, right? But we need godly teaching that exposits the word of God, not personal opinion. And I know some of us, some of us are in this day and age when we can sit back and live stream and listen later in the week or do whatever. We think, oh, we don't really need that necessarily the same way. I just want to say, yes, you do. Some, of, some people are still talking to you guys that are live streaming. Some people are still staying away because of coronavirus and because of health reasons. And I say, good right? That makes sense to me. If you're staying away for those reasons, then stay away for those reasons. But if you're staying away because you've gotten out of the habit of being together with the body, you've gotten out of the habit of gathering together. No, no, this is too important to just be out of the habit of. Like if you're staying away for health, stay away for health. But if this is just you out of the habit, then it's time to come back together, right? And and not only... (laughs) There's some things we won't know, but God will let us have what we want uh, or what he wants us to have. Um, and, And we need human teaching to help us discern that. But also, here's the deal. It's not simple. It will take hard work. Second Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy, this is labor. This is intensive. But that we strive and struggle for it. But listen, here's the word of encouragement I leave you, right? Because of the cross, the Holy Spirit is in you. And none of this is too hard. You can understand it. Your Bible can be understood. Your growth can be significant. Your becoming more and more like Jesus Christ is attainable. 
I talk to far too many people who say it's outside of their ability. That they're not smart enough. That they don't understand well enough. And I guess I just would go back to what Paul says. Man, the wisdom of the age, the intellectualism, none of that mattered. It's faith like a child. And then as the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you dig into good teaching, and you study hard, and you work to obey, that you will grow. Healthy things grow. It's the way it works. Let me pray for you as we wrap up. Heavenly Father, God, we love you, we trust you, we thank you. We thank you for your word and the truth that even though there are all of these philosophies and opinions in the world, God, ultimately, it is the cross of Christ that saves. And that when we come to the cross, we are given wisdom that is not our own. It is the wisdom of God that helps us discern and grow and move forward in faith. Father, I pray uh, for those in this body that are not yet believers. God, I pray that they would be drawn through the power of the Holy Spirit to respond. And for those of us that are believers, Father, I pray that you would help grow us up. God, we love you and we praise you and we just thank you for all things. Amen.